Minnow Middle got you down. Crush your sugar cravings with delicious all-natural Bossa Bars from Menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at BossaBars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today I am honored, thrilled that we have the guest Venus Morris Griffin on. And if you follow Humans of New York, which I do on Facebook, I follow their page, you may have found out about this 13-part series about this woman, Venus Morris Griffin, and just probably one of the strongest people I've ever heard come out and talk about what has happened to them. She's a great example for women who have a challenging life and maybe are staying in a marriage a little bit too long and don't even realize what's going on until it's almost too late and then picking themselves up and, and moving on. And just to give you a little background, she was married at 21. She had a very challenging um, upbringing with a mother who suffered from addiction. So she was constantly the caretaker then. And then she got married and had six children via a sperm donor because her husband was unable to have children. And one night she got a phone call from a prostitute and realized and found out that her husband was living this double life that she had no idea about. And at the time, her children were between ages one and 15. She wanted to believe him as many women do, that he was going to get treatment. And it turned out that he had actually, the um, issues had gone into the home and he was arrested and convicted for aggravated child molestation and sentenced to 45 years. And it was at that time where he failed a lie detector test that she knew she had to go into mama bear mode and protect her children. And that's what she did. And she took a real estate license that had kind of just been there beforehand and created an a real estate empire, I want to say, because she's seven figures every year. She's doing very well. She did go into another marriage and have another child. So she's got seven children and the older children are very successful. They adore her and they're seeing how she is building her life and using that as an example for them to do the same because it would be very easy for them all to fall into the victim mentality. And I think she worked very hard. It seems to not allow that to happen. And every time she got verklempt or started to cry on the episode, Bridget and I were trying really hard to hold back tears. If you see the video of this, I've got, I still, I think I got a teardrop in my right eye still that just hasn't come out yet, just because it's just amazing at what she's done and how her children stick together and that bond that's created there. It's a great example of how you overcome adversity. And, you know, Humans of New York, there's a 13-part piece for her. You have to check it out if you go on their website. She's right there, all 13 parts. The story is great. She's now traveling the country and um, giving lectures on her life. She's done TED Talks, yes. Mm -hmm. So she has definitely taken what was a very difficult time in her life and turned it into a lesson for other people. So, and she's writing a book. So it's just about done and it should be out soon or it is done and should be out soon. Yes, it's titled Validated. And she also has a website. So if you do know of someone, you will hear about a scholarship that she created as well. VenusMorrisGriffin.com. So if you want to find her, VenusMorrisGriffin.com. 
Um, and you can find out more about that. And right before we start letting our conversation start, we wanted to remind you that this is our last week of March Menopause Madness. It is the best of the best week. So you definitely want to enter our giveaway because it's a ton of products from uh, Woman S Products. And it is a culmination of all of the weeks together. So you do not want to miss that giveaway. And we just want to thank Woman S and my sisters for co-sponsoring this month with us. If you haven't checked out my sisters, make sure you do so. It's a perimenopause app that can track your symptoms. Woman S, you guys know, we're always talking about how we use Woman S products. They are head to toe for women in midlife and beyond. With that, check it out on hotflashescooltopics.com. You can enter there. You will be able to enter until Sunday where we will pick the last winner, but get the biggest prize. So you don't want to miss that. We are going to let Venus Morris Griffin start the conversation. Well, welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, everybody. Today's guest is Venus Morris Griffin. And I became familiar with your story when I saw the Humans of New York story. It was, I was enthralled. I was (laughs) fascinated. I could not wait for the next day episode to come up um, on the Facebook page. And I was really just so impressed with your perseverance. So welcome to the show and we'll get started in just a second. Yes. First of all, if you could just share shortly just some of your childhood background and then we can get into what happened and how you rose above this, uh, what happened to you. So growing up, I had a very um, difficult childhood and I share with humans of New York, one of my earliest memories of my mother was I had to sit by the couch and my job was to watch her fingernails. And if they were to turn blue, then um, I I had to call 911. And so, uh, of course, I didn't realize she was suffering from addiction at that time. I thought I was there to protect her. And, um, you know, from that to just, uh, you know, watching my brother and sister grow up in the same environment as I did and uh, you know, we all handle adversity differently, which is why I shared the story. And, you know, my, my brother, who's just really a sweet soul, but just kind of lost his way, ended up in maximum security prison. Um, uh, and my sister ended up in, in mental hospitals and struggling with the same, um, addiction, uh, addictions that my mother suffered with. I didn't know my father. I met him for the first and last time when I was 17, Uh, My mother was uh, working at a cotton mill and um, had an affair with her boss, and um, I was conceived. With that being said, uh, when I did meet him, he genuinely seemed like a a great man that just, you know, when you're young, you you just sometimes make careless decisions, which fortunately I have life because of theirs. So um, I have no resentment or bitterness towards him. But, you know, as a young child, I just remember feeling constant humiliation and trying to hide my life so no one would figure out really what it was about. You know, I wouldn't invite kids home with me because I didn't want them to come into my kitchen and turn the light on and see roaches fleeing everywhere. And I didn't want, you know, in the winter, I didn't want them to see blankets over the doors to keep our our little living area um, heated. So my mother was a, a very good person in many ways. She she just suffered uh, with addiction and alcoholism. And that pretty much, you know, sums up my, my childhood, uh, you know, getting a phone call 
while you're at school to go to the principal's office and then them telling you that, you know, to ride a different bus home and finding out your mom's at a police station and try to put her head in a toilet and drowned herself and just, just humiliating and, and loving my mother despite it all and wanting to protect her despite me being a very small child and just the devastation and the uncertainty and the um, just feeling afraid all the time of, of what's going to happen next. It was, it was, it was, um, it was tough. I think, I think so many of our listeners can relate to your story. And that's why we wanted to have you on because a lot, a lot of men and women grow up with challenges in their childhood and those formidable years really create your foundation that, and you don't even realize that maybe you're perpetuating or excusing things that maybe you wouldn't on a normal basis because you've been doing that your whole life. So right. in this, in humans of New York, you tell the story of meeting your first husband and he's 90% good, 10% bad. But can you talk a little bit about the beginning of your marriage before we get to that night of the phone call and all, you know, that mm -hmm. went down? Can you talk a little bit about, because I think so many women can relate to that. I love him. I can change. He's more, he's more good than bad. Yeah. So, um, I was doing a podcast with um, Danny Shapiro last week and I think she gave me the best analogy of, of who I was when I married my husband that I could ever think of myself, which is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the frog in the bowling water. Have you heard of yeah. that? Mm -hmm. I have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So basically I was the frog. You put a frog in, in, in water and it's just flopping around in the water you turn the heat on and it gradually starts to heat up. Well, the frog's still flapping around and just, you know, thinks it's as happy as it can be until finally the water is so hot that the frog dies. And of course he's eaten. The frog doesn't realize he's about to die. That's kind of my, that was, that was my marriage. I, um, you know, I was a frog in the cold water and, and Tripp was 90% good. I thought he was 90% good because my childhood, I was already so messed up from my childhood. I didn't really realize dysfunction because what I had with my husband was so much better than what I had growing up. I had someone that loved me, that was going to protect me, that took care of me. I was a stay-at-home mom. So what I had was so much better than the fear and the uncertainty that I went through as a child that as that water started to heat up, I didn't realize that the water was getting hot and I didn't realize my life was at stake, literally, as well as my children. So, but Trip was just... You know, he is a wonderful man in many ways. He is mentally ill. And that's how I have maintained forgiveness. And um, because I, I, one of the reasons I feel like I'm somewhat healthy and, you know, happy and functional is I think the first step into being whole and to, um, to being happy is not, not holding grudges and anger inside of you because it just eats at you it eats at you right or wrong. You know, I could justly say everything that he did was awful and he left me in an awful place and six kids in a two bedroom. And, you know, I could really justly, and probably most people would agree uh, that, that he was awful, but, but that's not who I am. You know, I see the goodness in him. I see the person who coached all the football teams for our son, um, who helped be PTO president with me, who led a Bible study group every week and took us to church with them. I see all those things. And I see 
Um, I recognize that, you know, there's a very serious mental illness that that this man had, which uh, put myself in jeopardy as well as my family. I wish I had the tools to have recognized that. And I wish in hindsight that I would have had the strength and the knowledge to, to leave sooner. And, and part of my story is I share responsibility for what he did because I should have left. And I didn't. I stayed until the water was boiling so bad. You know, somebody had to do CPR, but I came back to life. I left when he, when he failed a polygraph uh, test that said he had done these things he was convicted of. So that's when I filed for divorce. I didn't file for divorce when he's trying to snap my neck or when he, you know, throws me in the bathtub and I can't walk or when he tries to hang himself, you know, I, I didn't leave. I mean, that wasn't enough in a, a normal person who has not been through the abuse that I went through, I think could recognize that better. And, and my story maybe isn't for them. My story is to help people who have just struggled their whole life to see, okay, like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, y- women need to know their worth. They need to know their value and they need to have a standard on the way they let people treat them. And I, I didn't have a standard. I was just so happy that somebody loved me and that, that, and he was, you know, he was a good father in many ways, but, but you should never allow someone to try to kill themselves or, or, or threaten to kill themselves in front of your, your children. That's unacceptable. And that's where I will, um, that's where my suffering will forever be because, you know, I forgive myself, but also, I, you know, I just, I'm sad, you know, that, 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 that happened, but you know, thankfully, I feel like faith is a very big part of my journey that, uh, you know, I had the strength to, you know, put my big girl pants on and just say, OK, this is what it is. You no, know, no reason to fret over what's happened. Let's focus on today what I can do better uh, to be a better mom, to be the best mom, to provide for these children and to also prioritize myself and, and you know, treat myself the way I would treat a random stranger, which I I'd really never done. I always treated everybody else, you know, with respect and would do anything. But myself, you know, I was, you know, not very uh, gentle with. So I think that's so common. And we have talked to lots of different women and different um, places that help women that have been abused. And it's, you know, it's easy to say you would do something when you have not walked in that person's shoes. But you don't know what something's like until you're there. And I know when I was reading the Humans of New York story about you, the money situations, the need for your ex-husband to feel like, you know, he was the one to pay for all the dinners when people went out and you were thinking, what are you doing? We could afford this. And, And that does sound like a mental thing, even with him try to show his worth, maybe, I don't know. Paul. Can you set yeah. the stage for the listeners? Because at the point where, right before you received the phone call, you, you have six children. One-year-old, I was breastfeeding my one-year-old. I had a three-year-old and I had a eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 8, 10, 12, 14, some 15, I don't know. They were, they were you know, mm-hmm. gosh, it's hard. I have to go through birth dates. So I had them from one to 15, basically. And um yeah, I mean, I was I was a stay-at-home mom. I just got my license to help out. Just we wanted to send our children to a private Catholic school, and um, 
you know, we really couldn't afford that. So I thought, hey, I'll get my real estate license to offset expenses so I can do these things that necessarily aren't necessary, but I wanted to do for my children. Yeah. So I was, I was really just a mom and, um, you know, I'd been staying home for 15 years, you know, because we had our children with a a donor, the first uh, six children, we couldn't conceive naturally. My appreciation uh, for conceiving a child, I think may have been a little more intense had I not, had I been able to conceive just like the like just someone who can conceive. So I just wanted to devote my whole life to them and my husband. And, and again, Tripp was suffering with mental illness uh, before the prostitution came out. And I was not just sitting by taking it. You know, he was actively seeking a psychiatrist, a psychologist. We went to marriage counseling. So I wasn't just passive. I, I thought I was on the road to helping him recover because he would be very, uh, he would be terrible. And then he would be, sit everybody down and apologize and say, you know, daddy's really sick and, and you've got the best mom in the whole world and we've got the best family and I'm going to get better. And I'm seeing this person and, and, you know, then he'd get off the medicine and he'd go really bad. So it was, it was still tough, but for the, I should have left before the other stuff came out. But again, you know, I thought, um, I am very faith centered and Catholic and divorce is, is really, you know, frowned upon. It's, it's a wonderful thing to take marriage seriously, but sometimes I feel like my faith fails women because sometimes you should get divorced and sometimes you should leave. And I'd really never heard that. And so I was committed to staying for better, for worse, sickness and health, even at the expense of my own life and my children's um, safety, ultimately, until the, until the, um, you know, the crime actually happened. So, but can you talk about the, yeah, that night in 2011, when the phone call, when you got the phone call, my husband was out of town on a business trip, supposedly. And, uh, I get a, just a, you know, it was very late. And, uh, I remember the children were sleeping and waking my son up and saying, okay, I just, I've got to go down town. I just got this phone call. And um, he said, he reminded me that I said, your dad's been living a double life. And I'm ashamed to say that I thought that I had said something differently, but I was very direct with him, which, you know, it, it is what it is. And so he he's just this amazing soul. So he, you know, listened out for his brothers and sisters and I left to meet this prostitute. I remember driving down Washington Road thinking that despite the things that um, Tripp had done to me and the children, I really thought he was completely committed to us. And I really did not believe her. I thought I was, I didn't go down there to find out what he had done. I went down there because I believed in his innocence and I, I wanted to protect him and our family. And I, I thought maybe she was just, just trying to hurt us. And turns out she was not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember knocking on the door and, um, her opening the door and, um, you know, she's showing me pictures of my husband in compromised positions. And, and of course, at that point, when you see that, you're like, okay, she's definitely not lying. And then the phone rings and she turns the phone towards me and I answer the phone. And that's how, that's how it all, uh, came out. So, you know, I think a lot of women can relate to the fact that first off, you have six kids. You're just trying to get through the day. 
and you're trying to be the best mom you can be and the best wife. And so you have this woman say that your husband is seeing prostitutes and you're going, you're going there with the intent of saying, this can't be the man that I love. I think so many women can relate to the fact that your first response was not, I'm going to kill him. You know what I mean? Because I never have that response, actually. I'm going to kill him. I I never, you know, I, I tell people, uh, nobody wakes up and says, I just want to screw my whole life up and lose six amazing kids and a wife that loves them unless there's some major, uh, mental issues there. So I've, I've never hated him despite what everyone thinks I should do. I felt compassion because I grew up really tough and, um, I watched my brother and sister who were both good people, like make bad choices because they grew up really tough and didn't know how to um, deal with the adversity they went through and go to maximum security prison. And I just really almost instantly forgave him and, and wanted to help him. You know, he went to the sex addiction clinic in Mississippi. I I wasn't getting divorced. You know, I was going to stand by him. I was going to, you know, I say people will say they're Christian until things get tough, then they bail out. You know, I was going to uh, show everyone the whole world that I could stand by my husband and, sex addiction is more personal, especially for a woman, because sometimes we, we think we're not good enough. And, and I, or, you know, if I'd been better, he wouldn't have cheated on me, but I never thought that, you know, I knew that he wasn't cheating on me because I wasn't not good enough. So I just said, it's a little humiliating that he would do this, but you know, if he had a problem with alcohol, I would see him through a rehab for alcoholism. So he's got a problem with sex. So I'm going to see him through the rehab that, and, um, you know, even the prostitute, I, I had a, a very deep connection with her and we kind of became friends and, um, in a short period of time and I felt zero, uh, I I just didn't, I mean, I just felt compassion for her because again, a woman doesn't sell their body and live in a trash hotel like that. If, if something hasn't really traumatic happened to her. So I was able to just step out of my body almost and look and say, okay, these are really terrible things. Now, what, what do I do about this? After he was uh, put in the rehab, a few months went by and the other things that he did came out and um, he failed a lie detector test. And of course, my, my children's safety was compromised then. So I immediately filed for divorce and, um, and that, was, that was it. He went to rehab and you were going to try to work on the marriage and then he mm-hmm. was arrested and he failed a lie detector test. And he ended up being sentenced to 45 years for aggravated child molestation. Mm-hmm. At that point, you file for divorce. But can you mm-hmm. tell me in that process, what was the response from the people that around, should have supported you? I don't really care what people think of me, honestly. You know, I, I've had people judge me falsely my whole life. You know, I've had people talk about me. I've had people, you know, just be not nice to me because of the way I grew up. And, you know, so I wasn't concerned with what people said about me. I was concerned with what they said, how it would affect affect my children and how it would hurt them. And, uh, it was, it was devastating. Uh, my kids went through, I mean, they were, you know, at times made fun of, they were, you know, even recently, it just makes me cry. My 12 year old, he comes home from school, um, last week and he says, mom, I come and he doesn't remember his father because he was one when he went away. And so this tells you the parents are talking about it because these kids don't know this either. He comes home last week and he says, mom, what does this girl mean? Like I come into 
class and she says to me, are you in a bad mood because your dad's in jail? I'm like, what the heck? He doesn't even know his dad. This is, this is 12 years later, 11 years later. You know, so my kids, you know, one of my kids had a birthday party at the year he was sentenced and, you know, we had a sleepover. He's in prison. One child of the entire class was allowed to stay at our house. And I was the youth minister. I was the PTO. I was well known in the community and I was respected. I couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, I could give you a million examples of, of that. And, you know, one, one, one child who was my goddaughter, her, she comes to school and tells my, one of my daughters, hey, like their parents are talking about the godparenting y'all. And I'm like, I haven't done anything. I mean, and I just, you know what I told my kids? And my son was amazing through this too. He says, it doesn't matter what people say about us. We know who we are. Like, don't listen to those people. You know, you need to forgive them and hold your head up and, and know who you are. Because your whole life, you're going to have people to make judgments about, like, about you. And you can let this make you stronger or you can let it break you. One of my daughters, one of my older daughters, really struggled with depression after her father uh, went, went to prison. And I never will forget, two years later, she's sitting in my room just crying, just crying. And I just looked at her and I just said, honey, you got to decide if you're going to forgive your dad or if you're going to let him take you down or if you're just you, you or if you're just going to stand up. You got to stand up and know who you are and you got to forgive him and and you've got to find your your place again. And it's been a really tough journey. It is not all, you know, it's 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 beautiful and it's devastating all at the same time because our family is really uh almost just i mean we're our bond is so tight it's it's a beautiful thing it's everything that any parent would want and and all of my kids are super close they rally um behind each other and they all independently um they're finding their place so and and i had this i think maybe you're referring to what brandon spoke of I had uh, I had a prayer group and three of the three of the four couples uh never spoke to me again you know and one of them was my very best friend and 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 hers was more so she said because no one knew my kids were from a donor until my husband went to prison um because he uh he told people and I, of course I had to sit my kids down and tell them at that point and uh she basically said I sinned you know, in that I didn't send just one time. I sent six times because I had six children. And so that, as crazy as it sounds, losing her friendship was almost as devastating as losing my husband because I loved her. We, you know, we did Thanksgiving together and we would just everything. We talked on the phone an hour a day. I mean, she was the last person I thought would turn their back on me. But with that being said, She's a, she's a good person. She, she thought she was doing what her faith said. You know, it's easier to bring somebody down than up. And I had done all of these sins against what the Catholic Church taught. And, you know, so she just cut it. You know, she was protecting herself. She had a lot of children of her own. So 
she's not a bad person. She just did what she thought was best, which was devastating to me. And of course, now that all of this has come out, she really doesn't like me now. But again, I don't care. I'm just telling the truth. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We all mess up. And that's what I told her when she read the Humans of New York article. Um, I reached out and I said, listen, I want you to know, first of all, I, I love you. I adore you. Nothing I'm saying is to hurt you. I'm sharing my story to help other people. And she just basically responded and says, I'm done with you. I'm done with you and you're, you, you're crazy and, um, you know, what you put your kids through. Of course, I've not done anything. And I just said, listen, I know it's hard when you look at something and you see yourself in it. I know it's hard. I said, but we all mess up. I mess up too. So nobody's judging or saying anything bad about you. This is just what we had to wrap our brain around in the like the most horrific time of our life. And, and that's a big part of the story. Um, hopefully one day she'll see, she'll see that and she'll see my heart is not to, with my story, it's not to hurt my husband or anyone else is to say, okay, life can be, life can knock the breath out of you. You know, I remember after he was uh, that when he went to prison, sitting all my kids down and saying, you know, your, your dad's done some really awful things. And it's not our it's not our job job to to judge him anymore. You know, it's our job to forgive him. And it's my job to pick myself up and take care of you guys. And I don't know how we're going to do it. I have no idea. But I know what I've got in me. I know what I've been through. And I am not. I am not going to lay this cross down for you guys to pick up. And with that, we started our journey. My oldest son said, Mom, you do whatever you need to do to take care of the family. I will take care of my brothers and sisters. And, you know, I laid in bed that night. And I, I wanted to die. I really just wanted to die. I, had, I, I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I had six kids nursing. I had a baby from one to, you know, 15 years old. You know, I was in a two-bedroom. I have a wonderful family, but I, they, you know, they were, they're very, most of them were very poor. You know, they could barely meet their own basic needs. So I wasn't going to go burden them. Um, and I just, I just decided, you know, I can let this take me down or I can do what I've done my whole life, which is figure a way out one day at a time to take care of these people. And that's what I did. I just got up every day, had no clue what I was doing put one foot in front of the other, but committed to, to making the best choices I could make and, and to doing the right thing. And, you know, 10 years later, it's pretty amazing when your son is elected president of his dental class and, and he, you know, welcomes everyone, faculty, students, and he ends his speech with, Mom, can you please stand up? And he says, when the whole world threw the towel on us, and everybody was quick to judge us and turn their back on us. You, you, you took, you, you know, you stood for us. You showed me how to never settle, to never give up. And I'll be Dr. John Morris because of, because of you. And so that's, that's when you get it. It's like, okay, I've had a lifetime of hell, but it's all worth it to see these beautiful souls come out. Not only okay, but they're thriving and, and I, I have, despite terrible circumstances, I've created a family better than I could have ever dreamed of. So, you know, good things happen to bad people and you just, 
I, I believe if you forgive people and you have a strong work ethic and, and you have a faith, you can get through anything. And when I say faith, I'm not referring to being Catholic or Baptist or atheist or Jewish. Faith is to me is just a tool, you know, a tool to, to get you where you need to go. And it doesn't matter what that tool is. You know, for me, it was taking my kids to mass every morning for school the first the first year he went to prison at 7 a.m. But but it might be something else for someone else. But having that faith, knowing that that you were created for your your somebody, you know, you were created with intent and purpose, no matter how you got here. And and you you can't do it alone. You you need a higher power. I mean, you're, you can do anything and um, you just have to decide what you want to do and you got to really control. This is really important. You got to really control what you tell yourself because uh, you know, that's what you tell yourself is, is, is really, really powerful. And it's so amazing too, what you have done. So you had your real estate license, but then you really took it. And, and that, like you said, you didn't know what you were going to do. And that had to be terrifying. You know, it, it just had to absolutely be terrifying to have those children knew you had to be responsible for them. And so how did that, you know, just, you don't have to go into depth, but how, what was the first step you took? What um, did you do? I remember reading how you said, you were just going to take any kind of uh, house to sell, or could you share a little bit of that? So I, I didn't really know what to do, honestly. I just, um, my son says, mom, you know, if you research an hour a day, you'll be an expert in five years and whatever you do. So I was researching a lot more than an hour a day, but I remember early on, um, I would literally see for sale by owner signs in the, in the yard and I would knock on doors and, and basically I say beg, it was almost a beg in a very professional way for them to let me list their house. And then, you know, I was told no a whole lot because no one knew me. I had no pull. Um, I wasn't from this area. But when I when I got the few people that believed in me that let me list their property, I would go in and I would over deliver on everything that I said. And the house would sell and they would be really happy with me. And then they would tell somebody and then they would list with me. They would list with me. I did three open houses every single Sunday. And when I say every Sunday, I mean every Sunday, 1230 to 2. Then I go 2.30 to 4. Then I'd go to 4.30 to 6. And, you know, every single Sunday, when people came into the open house, I tell tell other agents, I didn't just sit there. Hey, how are you? Like, by the time they left, I knew their kids, their grandkids, their dog, their what they did for a living. And a lot of the times they would use me as their buyer's agent. It was it was a very, very long, long road. And, and my attorney when I got into the business, he says to me, you know, Venus, you don't get child support from prison and everybody's getting out of the market. The, the, the market has crashed. It was 2009. And he said, you really, really need to reconsider this real estate thing. And I said, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'll do whatever. I will sweep floors. I'll do whatever I have to do to take care of my kids. But first I want to try. I want to try because you don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've already come out of. And, you know, he came from a, you know, I'm sure a great family and, you know, just didn't, didn't believe in this country girl who 
had been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. And um, I kid and say, you know, guess who was making more money than him within five years? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, you know. but just amazing how what you've done, you know, where you've yourself. And I know that's probably not the most important thing in your life because that's your kids, but it is amazing what you've done. And when I read just about your son, your oldest son, just saying that to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I'm a little bit choked up right now, but um, thinking about that. Um, but what you've also done, I mean, you, the scholarship, can you share about the scholarship yeah. you created? Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I promised God that when I got through the darkness, that I would share my story to help other people. And I made a pact with them. And, you know, a lot of times in the past, you'll make, I'll make promises with God. And then when things get kind of easy, you don't really do it. But I was determined to, to hold my end of the bargain up. And so, you know, got through it, share my story. I'm like, what else can I do? I feel like I need to do more to help other people. And I didn't have a big platform at the time. So I just, I talked to the kids. And I said, you know, I was thinking about starting the scholarship for other kids because I knew the, the way out for me, what set, what the way I'm different than most of my family is, None of them are educated. And I thought if I could help educate one kid and get them out of a bad situation, like the purpose of my life will triple, you know? So I started a prison scholarship for um, a child that has at least one parent incarcerated. And I don't care what their grades are. I don't care where they're from. I don't care anything about them. All they have to do is write a letter to my family saying why their parents incarcerated, how it's affected them as a result of it, and how they want to be different and make a difference in the world and to use that adversity to help other people. And then we sit around the dinner table and and read all the letters. The kids take turns reading them. And then, you know, we don't see pictures of them or any anything like that until after we choose, because we don't want to be influenced and, you know, like this one, you know, it's got a cute shirt on or <laughs> you know how younger kids are. Um, but uh, it, it's pretty powerful because they're like crying, reading these stories and we see our family in it. It's just, it's really amazing. And I hope, you know, I've only been, I've been speaking all over the country and I'll put that money into an account so I can give to these kids. Um, but it's a $10,000 scholarship and, and hopefully I can do many more scholarships than, than one a year. But right now we can only do one a year. They surprise the recipient and they, my son, um, because I've got so many kids at home, I, I couldn't go. I was FaceTiming, but my son, who's, you know, 26, he flew out to the recipient came from California in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a blizzard this year. Like that doesn't happen in California, but <laughs> so um, he flew out and surprised them. I think it was in November and just the sweetest kid, just, wow. it, it really is amazing. I mean, you can just, in his mm-hmm. essays, like he never thought he could use his story to help other people and how it was impacting people. And just, it's, it's amazing. So, so that's, we all have something we feel passionate about. Mine is helping kids that by no fault of their own, they're just in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're in a bad place, the reason I say I don't care about grades, because I couldn't have straight A's. You know, I was good to be a BC student and I had to really struggle because I was trying to figure out how to live. And, you know, it's it's a different world out there than than a lot of people know for, you know, people that go through this kind of stuff. Your story has been so impactful 
on so many levels and you are paying it forward. But how on a personal level have you learned to grow and kind of trust the journey yourself? Well, I'm not on autopilot. Uh, I'm not off autopilot yet because as I told you, I am going through a divorce and um, I have to pay a lot of money because I make most of the money. (laughs) So, you know, living in that state of, oh my gosh, what if I don't sell, you know, just a state of fear, um, it, it still creeps in my mind. And I have to be very careful with, with those tapes that I put in my mind and, and know that if you work hard, it's going to be okay. You're, you're going to figure it out and, and, and forgiveness and, and seeing the good in people, you're, you're going to be okay. And I, you know, self-care when my husband went to prison, you know, I get up at five o'clock every morning and I go to the gym and I work out for an hour and a half Every single morning, I listen to Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, just people that just lift me up and, and who have their own journey to share. And that helps start my day. It clears my mind. So I come home, get the kids up from school, give them a bath, feed them breakfast, you know, take them to school. It, and prioritizing, you know, money is important, but money is just a means to an end. It It does not define my success. I mean, that's just... The money that I make, you know, I started making seven figures, I think my seventh year in real estate. That's the least important thing about my story. The only thing that does is, is show people that you can achieve financial success despite having all of these obstacles, seven kids. But the, the money part is just a means to an end. Success is prioritizing your children, your family, and the relationships. Um, if you don't have children and family, the relationships you have really, really determine how successful you are in life. Because when it's all said and done, when I'm home by myself, a house is just a house. It doesn't matter if my house is a $2 million house or $50,000 house. It's what's in that house that's going to bring happiness. And and one of the reasons I think I'm successful at my job is I don't care if somebody lives in a $50,000 house or a $10 million house. We're, we're really all the same. We really are. We might have a different balance in our bank account, but we're really the same. And, and my, what I've gone through in my devastation is, you know, I'm just, I'm no one special. I am hurt and pain. They're the same for all of us. It doesn't matter that my circumstances are really awful. Like the, the person over here, her hurt is just the same. If it's something much smaller from the outside looking in, the pain in her heart is the same. And that's why my story is so impactful because I'm just one of, billion people, you know, I'm just sharing my story that, that I've made it through to, to try and help other people see that, um, they don't have to give up just because you're broke. You have six kids, you have no money. You don't know where you're going to, how you're going to meet their emotional needs or financial needs. You don't have to give up and and you can figure it out. And, and I tell people when I give these talks all over the country now, I said, you know, every one of you in here can do what I've done probably better because you probably don't have seven children. So, um, you know, it's, it's a journey. And I, I think by sharing my story as humiliating as it is, I think if we were all more honest and didn't put on this, um, picture perfect, uh, I have the best life and I've got it all together. I think it would change the perception of so many who struggle to say that, Hey, you are normal. And guess what? It's okay that you're going through this. You're going to get through it. Before we let you go, I just wanted to ask you about your book that's coming up, Validated. Do you have any, uh, do you know when that's going to be out or anything? 
So I don't know when it's going to be out. The book is complete, but I've, I've had this amazing person who may, uh, I, I either go all the way or I don't go. I'm not an in-between kind of person. So I said from the beginning of this, uh, I was going to self-publish it or go with a major publishing company. So um, I'm very hopeful that something's going to work out with this person that I can't really talk about and it will be out. And if, if it doesn't work out with that person, then I will have it out within probably the next three months or four months at the, at the latest. So I'm excited to read it when it comes out. Really excited well, here. I think it will help a lot of people too, because personally. It, it absolutely will, because you can find yeah. yourself somewhere in my story, every yes. single person. I think so too. I I agree. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I truly <laughs> wish you the best of luck with everything and enjoy those seven children. Thank, thank you. Thanks. Well, that certainly was an emotional roller coaster ride that we sat on and just appreciate so much Venus's truth and her honesty and how she is taking her example or her challenges in life and turning them into lessons for us all to grow from. She is truly a force of nature. And we appreciate her taking the time to speak with us and share her story. And if you want to check it out, go to Humans of New York website or their Facebook group. And she has a 13-part piece up there that tells her story in more detail. If you haven't entered the giveaway, what are you waiting for? Go to hotflashescooltopics.com. Before you go and move on with your day, check that out and sign up for our giveaway. One lucky winner will get a bunch of products from Womaness, and they are amazing products. We love them. (laughs) Also, make sure you are following us. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps with the algorithms. And Bridget, I'm like kind of emotionally... Oh, I have learned such a lesson from her about forgiveness because that's a tough one for me. I am so bad about grudges. I I am. So it's like, now y'all know you never want to make me mad. (laughs) I'm a little afraid, Bridget. No, but (laughs) so I really appreciate it. Well, you work on that, Bridget. (laughs) So guys, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be up next Wednesday. April, we're going to have some extra episodes on women in business. We've got some great executives with advice. So we will be having bonus episodes up for the month of April a couple times. So make sure to check out those as well. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.